I, uh, I'm Chris, if I've not met you yet, uh, and I hope to do that. Uh, I'm not a very funny individual. When I'm up here, I, I tend to be, no, really, this is like years ago when I was being assessed as a pastor by a church network, they were like, yeah, you don't really have a sense of humor. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get all that. I'm not as funny as Pastor Ed and Pastor Seth, but that's okay. I know my lane, and it's usually to be very depressing and sad. Uh, so I'm glad we get to have these laughs because I actually am going to open with like kind of a serious story. So, all right, let's smile. Let's enjoy this for just a brief moment because the tears are going to flow. No, not that bad. Not that bad. Years ago, though, uh, in a church that my wife and I were a part of, there was an elder whose pattern of behavior was a bit off, right? I'm being serious. I, I, I have a smirk still on my face, but I'm being serious. The man wasn't blatantly disqualified per the character qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, but he wasn't convincingly qualified either. Uh, the way he carried himself, the way he spoke, the way he was drawn to serving in positions under the spotlight just felt arrogant. But instead of addressing him with the compassion and candor and counsel that we're about to see Daniel display toward King Nebuchadnezzar in our passage. Instead of doing that, everyone, including myself, who saw in this man species of arrogance, we made excuses. We said, oh, that's just the way he, he talks. That's just the way he carries himself. That's just the way God has wired him to lead, right? Uh, this excuse, I think, is being made so frequently in 21st century American churches. If you follow the headlines at all, pastors are proving themselves disqualified left and right and left and right again. If only someone in this man's life, this particular elder that I'm, I'm sharing a story about, if only someone in his life, if only I had taken the courage and brought his patterns of concerning behavior to his attention, God might have softened him and spared him from the later trouble that resulted in his being forcefully removed from eldership immediately. This morning in Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 27, we're going to see Daniel speak the hard truth to his captor-turned-friend, King Nebuchadnezzar. And as we look through this passage, I trust that the Holy Spirit will bring to our minds people in our lives who, like that former elder in our former church, I trust the Holy Spirit will bring to our minds people who, who need to be addressed with compassion and candor and counsel before it's too late, before it's too late. So before I read the bulk of our passage this morning, I'd invite you to follow along as I read just verses one through three. And there's a reason I'm doing this. I'll explain in just a moment. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, 
peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. What a wonderful passage of praise spoken from the mouth of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, himself. Now at first glance, we might think that these verses are written in response to the events of chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were miraculously spared from the fiery furnace. But actually, these verses, verses 1 through 3, are written in response to the events that are about to unfold in chapter four. Maybe you've watched a movie before where the beginning of the movie begins with a clip from the end. That's what's happening here in verses one through three. And so it begs this question, what is Nebuchadnezzar so elated about? What has brought him to so humble a a God-glorifying posture? Well, we're not going to fully answer that question this morning. Because we're dividing this chapter into two halves. But we'll come close to answering it. And so now I would invite you to follow along as I read the rest of our portion today. Verses 4 through 27. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's 
and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father most high, in your hand are all the kingdoms of earth. And in the same way that Daniel urged King Nebuchadnezzar to break off his sins and to practice righteousness, we ask that you might use this passage to embolden us to do the same, that we may live lives that are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
the human authors of the Bible, such as Daniel, uh, obviously didn't have access to computers or typewriters. And so when they wanted to italicize or underline an important part of the story, they used repetition. And so it is in Daniel chapter 4, three times in this chapter in verses 17, 25, and as we will, Lord willing, see next week in verse 32, Daniel repeats a particular phrase, and that phrase unlocks a major theme for the chapter, and that is this, that all men and women would know with certainty that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of earth, and he gives kingship to whomever he wills. This is a key theme for Daniel chapter 4 to remind you and I that our God in heaven is ruler of rulers and that the events of this chapter were meticulously governed by him so that even the world's greatest superpower at this time so that even he would fall and bow in worship of God the Father. That is the overarching theme of the chapter, but it's not the only theme. God's word, as you have heard here before, God's word is unsearchably deep and endlessly applicable for those who have ears to hear it. And so, before we dive into a three-point outline of application, let's just first consider Nebuchadnezzar's second unsettling dream right here. In verses 4 through 9, Nebuchadnezzar's pampered night of sleep is disturbed by an alarming vision that leads him to immediately summon his entire council of wise men. Now, we're not told why Daniel isn't present, why he doesn't come with the, the group of wise men right away. But once again, Daniel's delayed involvement is intended to shine a light on the spiritual inabilities of Babylon's brightest pagan scholars. When Daniel finally arrives on the scene, Nebuchadnezzar cuts right to the chase in verses 10 through, er, 10 through 17, and he tells Daniel what he saw in his dream. He saw a massive, strong tree that attracted united and nourished all living creatures. Sounds a bit like the Tower of Babel 2.0, doesn't it? But just when it seemed that this immovable, gigantic tree would fill and sustain the earth forever, just at that moment, a mysterious heavenly being descended and decreed that the tree be hacked down and reduced to a stump in the ground. And concerning the stump, the heavenly being issued an intriguing statement. I don't know if you caught it, but he said, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Well, wait a minute. Is he talking about a stump? No, he's talking, talking about a person. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let him become as a beast of the field until seven periods of time pass by. And then verse 17, the big focal point here. Again, let all of this happen in order that all living would know 
that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he wills. This is the dream that disturbed Nebuchadnezzar's sleep and he is once again correct to suspect that this dream holds future significance. So now as we consider Daniel's interpretation of the dream in verses 19 through 27, it would be wise of us to pay close attention to Daniel's approach, his demeanor, his manner. It would be wise for us to pay close attention to the way Daniel addresses Nebuchadnezzar with compassion and candor and counsel. And we'd be wise to pay attention to this because it is the way we are called to embrace those around us who desperately need to hear the truth of the Lord. So, number one, Daniel's compassion. As we come to verse 19, God has revealed to Daniel the troubling meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and it overwhelms Daniel with sadness. Just catch that for a second. I don't know if Daniel would have been so sad had this event transpired in chapter one when Nebuchadnezzar had first torn him from his family and his home in Jerusalem, but we're not in chapter one anymore. And by this time in the story, Daniel, as the chief wise man of, of Nebuchadnezzar's, Daniel has spent a lot of time with Nebuchadnezzar. We might even go so far as to say as they had become friends as we see Nebuchadnezzar trying to comfort Daniel in his distress about the dream. At the end of verse 19, Daniel puts into words his sadness for Nebuchadnezzar, he says this, basically, my Lord, I, I wish the meaning of this dream were not for you, but for your enemies. We might also suggest he's saying, he, well, King Nebuchadnezzar, if, if there were anything I could do to spare you from what is coming, I would. Daniel's compassion for King Nebuchadnezzar stems from his certainty that what God has revealed to him is going to happen. Daniel is certain that the word of the Lord will come to fruition. And it's from that place of certainty that he feels compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. It begs the question, as Daniel is torn and unsettled and in anguish over this holy storm that is about to come for Nebuchadnezzar, it begs the question, do we feel this way for our friends and our neighbors and co-workers who are not right with the Lord? Are we filled with anguish that our family member or classmate or business partner is not convincingly walking 
going down the righteous path that leads to eternal life. But rather he or she is walking, skipping down the path that leads to judgment and death. Let me ask you personally, you want me to trade this out? Testing. It begs the question, and thank you for your help on the microphone, by the way. It begs the question, are we, are you filled with anguish because there are people with whom you have personal relationship that are headed for eternal destruction? Are you that convinced of the word of the Lord to believe judgment and death is coming? Now, are you anguished about it? Are you convinced that a holy storm is coming for all those who suppress and reject the truth of Christ? A holy storm is coming for all those who say they belong to God but their patterns of behavior look no different from the world. I've told you this story before, but it bears repeating. Penn Gillette is one half of the comedy magic duo, Penn and Teller. And one night after a show, Penn Gillette, who is an ardent atheist, he was greeting fans in a line and a young man waited in the line to meet him but he didn't want an autograph from Mr. Gillette. He wanted to give him a Bible and urge him to believe its message. After the whole encounter, Penn Gillette made a video, it's on YouTube, and in the video he says how much he appreciated the young man. Pendulette hasn't given his life to Christ and surrendered and repented of sin. But he said this in the video. If you are convinced that I am headed for hell, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me that? He's right. As followers of Christ... Our compassion for lost souls stems from this certainty that God's word is true and he is holy and he will soon return, the person of Christ, to judge the world. And when he does, anyone and everyone who is not repentantly found underneath of his blood will bear the punishment for their sin. Give us compassion, Lord. Daniel's candor, point number two, in verses 20 through 26, filled with sorrow for King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel tells him what he wished he didn't have to tell him. (laughs) That massive, strong tree you saw in your dream, Nebuchadnezzar, that one that attracted and united and nourished all living creatures, that tree is you. And the mysterious heavenly being who directed the destruction of that tree down to its stump is an angel of the most high God 
who is going to ensure that you will be brought low as a consequence for your pride. Nebuchadnezzar, you will be driven from your prominent place among men and you will be forced out into the fields like an animal to eat grass in the dew of the morning. And you will not regain your senses, nor will you regain your kingdom until seven periods of time pass by. Now those seven periods of time could indicate seven literal years or... It could mean a symbolic seven years until Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation was perfect and complete. Even as Daniel's heart breaks to do it, he relays this difficult truth to King Nebuchadnezzar word for word. This candor, this tell it like it is truthfulness is what characterized Moses before Pharaoh, Elijah before Ahab, John the Baptist before Herod, and Jesus before Pilate. And it is this, tell it like it is truthfulness, that has to characterize us. The fact is, every one of us here has someone in our lives who desperately needs to hear something that maybe we don't want to say. Something like this, brother, I'm greatly concerned by your preoccupation with worldly success. I love you. I can tell you are so driven by being recognized in this world and it's all going to be given to moth and rust. Sister, I am unsettled with your relentless ability to make everything about you. Stop thinking that everything is about you. Son or daughter, I am fearful that you are being enchanted by the siren song of our fallen culture. The way that you talk about sexuality and gender. Oh my Lord, I am so fearful for you. How about this example? Dear pastor, elder, I'm perceiving that more often than not, you seem to operate in a spirit of arrogance, not meekness. I need to bring it to your attention. Whom has God placed you beside? In your neighborhood, you know the drill, workplace, school. Who has God, whom has God placed you beside? in order that you would represent him in his truth. What difficult but necessary word is the Holy Spirit prompting you to speak up about? James 5.20, listen to this and be emboldened. Whoever brings a sinner to repentance covers a multitude of sin and saves their soul from death. Brothers and sisters, may we be willing to have a momentarily hard conversation that just might spare someone from an eternally harder outcome. Daniel's counsel, uh, not verse three, but point three, 
point three, Daniel's counsel. In verses 25 through 26, Daniel underlines for Nebuchadnezzar that although the dream is going to become a reality, although Nebuchadnezzar is going to undergo a painful pruning, he will not be destroyed beyond hope. In the same way that a tree is able to regrow even though it appears to be dead, so Nebuchadnezzar will regrow when he learns to submit to the rule of heaven. Daniel concludes our passage this morning, the segment of chapter 4, with an urgent plea in verse 27. O king, hear my words and receive this counsel. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and make an end of your iniquities by showing mercy that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your ease, your prosperous ease. What a merciful opportunity for such a pompous pagan king. I love what theologian Dale Davis writes about this when he says, Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation is going to take place, but it doesn't take place immediately because mercy loves delays. Mercy loves delays. Mercy loves to give people opportunity to respond. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many people in your life, in my life, need to hear from us, from our trembling mouths, the words something like to the tune of Isaiah 55, 6, and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He's not always going to be near. Seek him while he can be found now. Let the wicked forsake his way and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have compassion on them. Listen to this final part of Isaiah 55 verse 7. For our God will abundantly pardon. Our God is pumped to pardon sinners. For our God will abundantly pardon. Man, that could be a sermon series in its own right. And isn't the Lord's Supper a testament to that very truth? If you are a follower of Christ, and at some point in time, by God's grace this morning, you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit for your unfeeling lack of compassion toward the lost and or deceived people in your life, you are not condemned. Not by Christ and not at his table. When you partake of the bread and the cup that points us to Jesus' body and blood, be repentantly reminded that Jesus did not die the death you deserve in order to leave you in condemnation. He died the death you deserve so that you would take up your mat and sin no more. 
If you are a follower of Christ and have been convicted at some point in time by God's grace and by his Holy Spirit about your fearful inability to tell others the truth about the fire they are playing with, you're not condemned. Not by Christ. Not at his table. When you partake of the bread and cup that points to Jesus, body and blood, be repentantly reminded that Jesus did not die 2,000 years ago to condemn you today. He died to meet you where you are. Though you cringe to tell people the truth, to do what I did with that elder in my former church, to speak truth to a man who is seemingly untouchable with power. Though we cringe like Daniel did to speak the truth to Nebuchadnezzar, we are resolved anyway by the risen Lord to speak it. He's either alive or he's not. And if he's alive, that changes everything. At Oaks, we desire to do the best we can to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. For that reason, if you are not a follower of Christ, please do not participate in the Lord's Supper Instead, I would urge you personally to repentantly trust Christ. Trust in his atoning death. Trust in his justifying resurrection. And receive forgiveness and freedom from your sins. We also encourage the parents of younger children to simply hold off for a bit in serving the Lord's Supper to your kids until the day that we all pray for when they are more capably standing on the two feet of their own faith. Just a bit more capably. We're not here to disparage our children. We're here to exercise a control that will celebrate all the more with them when faith comes to more of a capable fruition. Does that make sense? So when I begin to pray, I'm gonna invite our communion service to come forward and then when I'm finished praying, our deacon of worship, Ed Tarakis, is going to, to sing and at any point in time, if you are a believing man or woman who's been cut to the heart by the gospel, at any point in time, I would invite you to come and participate in this family meal where we in tremendous unity declare the death of Christ until he comes. Let's pray. Oh. Father most high, it is true, in your hand are all the kingdoms of the earth. It is true that you are ruler of rulers, king of kings, lord of lords. And we desire to bring you pleasure as we remember the supper of the lamb, your son Jesus, who lived and died and rose in our stead to save us from the sin that we have all veered toward and to call us your own 
through the repentant faith that we each possess in the blood of Christ. We thank you that we are yours. We do not walk the aisle to take of these elements in condemnation. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to take with repentant celebration that we might put to death sins that have been hanging on for a long time and that we might be emboldened to do as Daniel did, to walk in compassion and to speak with candor and to plead with counsel to those around us who are dying to hear the gospel. Embolden us to do that for your glory and our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.